This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we're lucky to have Nora Lamar. She's the CEO of Classical. We also have a co-host, that's Kath Wicklin. She's a chair of Southern Colorado Vistage and a CEO of her own company. And so today we'll move forward. And Nora, thank you so much for taking the time. Tell us a little bit about Classical, what your business is, and who you serve. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am. It's nice to be here today. Glassical Designs is um, a company I started 35 years ago. We currently, for the last 22, provide awards and trophies for the corporate market, which is what most people think all the time. But we actually come in and help companies and corporations develop their recognition programs to be more effective, go along with their company culture, and fit into their company branding. So we do a lot of custom work kind of pick their brain and see what it is that they're trying to convey and see if we can help them do that. You know, we have a couple of examples in the foreground here. Yep. Just as a token, and I've been at your location at Mm -hmm. a meeting Mm -hmm. and an amazing place, no idea what went on. A lot of very busy people creating some amazing items for recognition. You know, I think many of us have been in various firms that have a recognition item or award or an event. And, and you and I talked a little bit before the episode about what really Glassical is the physical representation of what they're trying to do. So when you go in and talk to a company about developing a recognition program, what types of things do you work with them on to develop a signature piece? That's a good question. <laughs> when we go in, we really don't have a great idea of where they're at with their recognition within their company, if they really see the need and the value in it, or if they just heard they need to start one. And it really depends on where they're at with it. If they have an established culture and they like their culture and they want to promote their culture and if they really enjoy their branding. So we walk into all kinds of scenarios. So when we walk in, we really try and assess where they're at with recognizing their employees. And if they fully understand why, if they do, wow, That's a blessing because we're coming in now and just trying to pick their brain about how can we refine this, make this more about your company culture and your branding. How do you make these people value what you're giving them? Give them the biggest bang for their buck. You know, we don't walk in and say, okay, we want to sell you a $2,000 award for every employee and I hope everybody buys it. We don't, we go in and we really try and assess, can we genuinely help them solve a problem and do it within a budget that they think is reasonable? And so, when we walk in, we get to have that leg up, per se, when they already understand the need for recognition. And so we'll just sit down and kind of gather information, give them an idea of what we think they should be doing when it comes to recognition. And then we go back and we all brainstorm, come with up with ideas for them. And that doesn't really cost them anything. We feel like if we're going to do a really good job for you, you're going to want to work with us and not want to go anywhere else. So we don't have to charge you for that time up front because it all comes out in the wash later on. So if you really do want to recognize people well, and you really do want to make it about the people, then we can't go in with a dollar amount already decided in our mind about how is this going to benefit classical designs? Because if we do that, then we've kind of lost the game right out the gate. We go in thinking, how can we help you? Obviously, we need to make money, but we find out how can we help you do this well? If we walk in and they have no clue why they want to do recognition, because the people in charge are all about growing the business and keeping the shareholders happy and it's all about the bottom line, that's a much harder meeting to have. 
So we have to educate them quite a bit on if you really do want to grow it and you do want to make money, that's a byproduct of doing this part well. So does that answer your question? I think so. You know, I think about the broad range of items that I saw when I was there from custom design glass pieces for what Mercedes Benz Mm -hmm. and others to a smaller piece that's, I would say, the size of one of these on the table. Right. And looking at the companies, what type of feedback do you typically hear from a company after you've instituted a rewards program with items from Glassical? What are the takeaways that companies or aha moments that they have? Hmm. Good question, too. <laughs> that depends on them. But in a perfect world, and we get a lot of this, they're like, wow, I had no idea. Thank you so much for helping us realize the importance of doing this. Thank you for working within our budget and helping us design an award that conveys what we want it to convey, but also has our company branding involved in it. That's the kind of feedback we get. And then we have the fun part of sitting down and coming up with beautiful things that fit within their branding, give those to them as an option. And most often they're surprised at what they can have. Because, you know, if you search the web, you're going to see pretty standard across the board what's out there. And I'm not saying we don't do that. We'll do that for someone if that's what they want. But if we can come in and help them really design a recognition program around their branding, then that's our preference. So that's the kind of feedback we get. Most of the time when they receive our awards, We'll get an email back and like, wow, we're so excited. We can't wait to give these out. We had no idea what this would do. And and we guarantee that they're going to get them on time. So we take really good care of them. I heard stories as an aside from, I'm not sure who it was, and they said there was a problem getting a shipment for an award. And Mm -hmm. you guys have flown awards in. Mm -hmm. Three times in 35 years, yes. We had uh, University of Phoenix was one of our top customers back then, and we had their entire southwestern United States territory. So they would hold several events, and they had one in Hawaii. We had already provided the majority of the awards for events in Tahoe and in Reno and up in Seattle. And then this was the last one, just 16 awards that had to go to Hawaii. And we happened to be in the office on the weekend, answered the phone, and our contact was in Hawaii at the venue and wanted a tracking number. And so did a little digging and found out that we didn't send those awards. In fact, they hadn't even been engraved yet. That <laughs> that was a big one. <laughs> so, you know, we didn't spend a whole lot of time going, oh, no, we just sat down, made flight arrangements, etched the awards fast, well, packaged them. I went on down to LAX, hopped on a plane, hand-delivered the awards myself in time for their event, because we like to say we never miss a deadline. So... I thought they'd never work with us again, and the speaker made the entire presentation, (laughs) other than giving the awards to the recipients, about customer service and how great we are, and they'll never work with anyone else. It's funny when you do the right thing. Yeah. For the folks that are listening and they go, well, we don't even know if we're a prototypical client for what Classical does. So what are the range of clients that use your service? Oh, gosh. Anywhere from, you know, a million-dollar company who wants to award their 10 employees at their Christmas banquet to Pacific Life, Google, Mercedes-Benz, Mitsubishi Motors, their headquarters in the U.S. And they kind of put together a whole recognition program, and then they kind of mandate that all of their offices and all of their 
managers choose from what we've provided for them. So we do thousands of awards for some companies, names you've probably never heard of. I'd never heard of them until we started working with them, <laughs> uh, to big name companies like Pacific Life and Google and others. So we've been doing it for a while. So we have quite a customer base. So I have to ask, how did you get involved in this business? <laughs> well, I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be the CEO of Glassical Designs or be back in the day when we had our retail business, a hand glass engraver. I was artistic. I got a job as a teenager engraving on toasting glasses for weddings, you know, freehand, and met my now husband who was very entrepreneurial minded. And he said, why are you doing this for someone else? He said, I don't know. Is there another option? And so he bought the machine and I started really small at um, an outdoor marketplace. Other places in the country call them flea markets. We don't call them that in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> it's an outdoor marketplace. And we just built our clientele from there. So then we opened a retail location and worked our fannies off for a long time and then decided maybe we should do this for corporate customers instead of brides and made the switch. We were talking about that right before we started the episode. And you made a conscious shift at some point mm -hmm. between retail to the the corporate world. Mm -hmm. Walk me through that process and your mindset when you were doing that. Well, I don't know if all of your listeners remember the recession of the 90s, right after Desert Storm, and it hit the whole country first before it came to our area. And we were a local business, so we were working our tails off in our retail business. Had to lay off a few employees and stuff. We were working seven days a week and had four children and felt like we never saw them. And my husband and I were sitting in the jacuzzi and I looked at him and I said, what if we just dump all of our retail customers and go for the corporate customers? Because we had about, not even a handful, about four corporate customers we were working with back then. One of them was In-N-Out Burger and another one was Mitsubishi Motors. And we did In-N-Out Burgers, their entire awards program for them. And I thought that there was real promise in that. And so, you know, it's a little scary to think about dumping what you've done for 13 years and that many customers from your customer base and just headed in a different direction. But it was a risk that we took, and I'm really glad we did because it paid off hugely. And I stopped working weekends, mostly. I still do a little bit every every now and then because that's life on planet Earth. But yeah, that's what we did, and I'm really happy that we did it. There was no guarantees. so. But then I think when you run a company, there aren't any guarantees. I haven't found the guarantee that, that comes yeah. with being a business owner. Mm -mm. Uh, somewhere It doesn't exist. Yes. So you have to be a risk taker or you probably shouldn't start one. <laughs> you know, I, I think about that discussion, you know, as you're sitting there, what do you think? And you go, well, I think that's a good idea. And then did you Im like immediately go and institute that or did you stew on it a little bit? No, we did it instantly, but we maintained our retail customers for about a year. So we eased our way out of that and then focused pretty hard on sales with the corporate clients in Southern California at the time. So before we located here, we were there for 13 years. So, yeah. So with all of that experience, and if you were, if there's another business owner out there and you were going to offer that business owner a piece of advice based on your track record and success and all the pivots, what would that be and why? <laughs> well, 
my husband and I work together very, very well. But I would tell you never go into business with your spouse because the first five years it was pretty like this, you know, <laughs> until we figured all that out. And he and I love working together now, but we tell that to people all the time. And I would say, honestly, until you run your own business, you have no idea how much is involved in that. So the advice I would give people is to really count the costs and then go in being willing to adjust as you go to accommodate what needs to happen. It'll pull out of you the very best you have to offer. And if you're not willing to do that, then you probably shouldn't start it. You know, it's, I think about people that have kind of the starry-eyed, I'm going to start my own business so I can be my own boss. Mm -hmm. And I always chuckle when they say I can be my own boss, which is, I'm going, yeah, you haven't run a business yet. Yeah. You mentioned an interesting time frame, first four or five years with your husband and running the business. And then after that initial period of time, things settled down for you guys. Mm -hmm. Was there a particular event that caused it to settle down or just a progression? I think, you know, anytime you work with a business partner and whether it's a spouse or any other human being, they have their strengths and weaknesses. You have yours and they have their perspective and you have yours. So I think as you grow and you mature, I was 25 when I started this, you know, you just kind of round off the rough edges over time. So it really was a, okay, that's not working. How else can we approach this? And let me see if I understand you better. And so we learned a lot about communication and how to be better listeners and how to focus on what was great and what wasn't so great. We decided that was really none of our business and that that person would work on their own stuff. It wasn't my job to point that out. So we both had to come to that agreement that we would accentuate the positives and ignore the negatives. And it was a good decision. So, but that happened over time. That was not any one event. Sounds like a typical marriage to me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and you got, yeah, it's dimensional, right? You've got the yeah. marriage that you're working on, which, mm -hmm. but then you've got the business that you're working mm -hmm. on as well, mm -hmm. being a partner. And then mm -hmm. you're supposed to raise kids too. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And try and bring out the best in them. Nothing to it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have four daughters. So I don't want to pretend that that's easy. <laughs> so if you can go back out with all you know, decades of experience that you have, and you could go back to your pre-business self and offer yourself some advice, what would you say? Run. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. no, I wouldn't say that. What you um, yeah. I think the young me, I would say, figure out your stuff. Personal or professional? Personal first, you know, like don't ignore and stuff. Be real and genuine and authentic. Young me, I would say, embrace all your strengths and be thankful and grateful for those and be so grateful for the opportunities more so than do this business step and do that business step. And I could have saved you so much time, Nora, if you hadn't done this or done that. I think the probably the number one business thing I would have said is you should have pulled the trigger on the corporate business after the first year rather than 13 years into it. So we wasted a lot of time, I think, if you think of it that way, doing retail and not doing the corporate business. Should have started that sooner. And yet, we talked about being able to be adverse to risk. Mm -hmm. Pulling that trigger was a huge risk. And mm -hmm. So there was some apprehension that went 
with that that took some number of years to work through before you were like, wow. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to say, as I look back now, I wish we would have done it sooner. Mm -hmm. However, you learned different lessons, right? Yeah. I mean, there wasn't much apprehension. Both my husband and I are risk takers, jump out of airplanes, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think we may be a little bit unique in that we do tend to take probably more risks than the average person and don't. We count the cost, but we don't lament things that maybe went south and we just learn from it and move on. So we don't spend a lot of time beating ourselves up about decisions and stuff. So take to switch to the corporate sooner rather than later mm-hmm. and be able to take your lumps as, as they come. Because mm-hmm. you do it anyway. I think about that philosophical approach to pay intuition. As you go, I wish we hadn't done that. It mm-hmm. costs a certain amount. Mm-hmm. And there's the tuition and learning along the way. Mm-hmm. If there was a specific skill set that you could have gone to college or any kind of higher education institution that would have helped you Looking at it now, what would you have taken or what course might you have studied? I think I probably would have taken some business classes. Thank God I don't have to do any of the accounting. Rick is stellar at it, so I get to do the people management side of it and all that. So I would probably take some management courses just so that it wasn't all learn on the job. I don't know that I would have. I mean, my children went to college, and I know how much they learned when they were there. I don't know how much you retain, you know, kind of like high school. So I did take some courses in college, as did Rick, but I think most of it was just on-the-job training. I think they can prep you some in school for it, but there's not a whole lot of education out there for doing what we do Mm -hmm. other than maybe management, people management. We could have learned a lot more. I learned a ton through the CEO group that I'm in, Vistage, about managing people and how to do that well, that I wished I'd learned when I was younger. You have children in your business now. I have one daughter. One mm-hmm. daughter in your business. Yeah. yeah, she's a salesperson. You know, that reminds me of the apprentice program of many years ago. What advantage do you think your daughter will have from being in the business and executing on the sales side and watching what you guys are doing as opposed to the experience you had? I think I wasted a few years doing sales for Glasgow Designs myself with too much knowledge about the bottom line and what we needed to make. I think Jackie has benefited, she's my daughter, and our salespeople a great deal from what I learned was that you don't focus on that. People pick up on that right away. If you're going into a meeting and your focus is how can this person benefit me rather than what can I do for them, people are smart. They pick up on that. So in sales, right out the gate, I tell our salespeople don't try and sell anything. Go in and find out what it is, how you can serve them well, understand them, look in their eyes and see what it is that God put in them that made them unique and special. Try and connect with that and then see if you can find a solution for their recognition problems. And if you can help them find solutions, then the sales will just follow. So I would say that to all salespeople. It's amazing to me how successful people are. It goes to show how much we have consumer need walking in and upselling and trying to push people into something and make a decision now and all of that. We don't do any of that. I think that's a temporary sales thing. It's not a long-term sales thing. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. We have customers that have been purchasing awards from us for 20, 23, 25 years, would never go anywhere else because they know we, our goal is to take good care of them. 
nice to see the growth of those customers through the years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Family members extended. Mm-hmm. For you, as you look over your company over the past, maybe most recent five or 10 years, an initiative or a protocol or something that you've installed in the company or even an allocation of your time that's helped the company most? Probably being a part of the Vistage CEO group, learning from those people and having them problem solve with me. That would, I took from that and went back and applied a lot of the things that I've learned from them. I've read a book called The Four Days of Execution, which was suggested to me several times before I actually went and got it and read it. And so that has helped us understand the need for focusing on the wildly important goals in the midst of the whirlwind of running your business, which I think has really, in the last year and a half, almost two years, has propelled us forward. So I would say it's an investment of money and time to go, and it's so worth it. And I think that's what I've taken from Glasgow Designs and has helped me learn to put back into Glasgow Designs. So I think we've had good attitudes all along, but the things I've learned, I'm pretty sure I would have had to go for a four-year degree to learn what I've learned from these CEOs in the time that I've known them and spent time with them if I were trying to get it out of going to school or something like that, So, which would have cost me a whole lot more money than it was to be a part of this group. So, Tuition well spent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. So in your day-to-day operations as the CEO, what one personal habit or self-talk dialogue do you have that you feel really keeps you focused on continuous? Well, it's probably not what you think. Usually on my way into work, I'm like, I've, I know what I'm going to face today. Can't do it on my own. I don't know some of the things that are going to go on today. Not sure I'm equipped to handle those. And so I'll say a prayer and say, okay, I can't do this on my own today. I'm going to need God's help with this and help me remember that I'm there to serve and lead, not try and BS my way through. So I think my people appreciate that authenticity and we're a team. And so I try and keep that in mind when I'm with them. I would say that's probably the most important thing. If I forget to do that and I get in there, I can get overwhelmed. But if I remember that I am here to serve and we'll tackle this together and we are a team, we accomplish amazing things. So I'm very proud of our culture. And so I think that helps me as the CEO. I set that tone and I guard it. We don't let grumpy people work for us. (laughs) Which is helpful. Yes. To keep the company culture whole. Yes. We try and train them if they come and they're tainted and wounded by the world and they're struggling from a past job or whatever, like that's not how it is here. We want to make sure you don't stuff. We want to hear what's going on with you. We want to hear your ideas and stuff. But if at the end of the day, if someone's determined to be grumpy, we kind of say like, this is not a good fit for you. So, Well, when we were visiting, you had a Vistage meeting at your place mm-hmm. and you had an, an outing for all your employees. Yeah. And you went to the Cave of the Winds. Mm-hmm. And the folks there says, we got to show you guys the video mm-hmm. of us at Cave of the Winds. Mm-hmm. And there was, um, describe what it is that the video covered and what do you think the impact or reaction was of your employees from that event that you did? I think it's helped establish a feeling of belonging and that you matter working at Glasgow Designs and that we see you in your uniqueness and we want to bring out of you the very best that you have to offer, not because we want to make it always fun, but we want it to be a rewarding place for you to work. 
So we try and interject some fun. So we did it because not everybody there is our risk takers like Rick and I are. I mean, we've talked about jokingly taking them on retreats where we're all going to go skydiving or something and people freeze in their seats. So (laughs) we were joking, but this Cave of the Winds, they have a tour of the caves, which is something that everyone could do. And then we thought out of 22 people that came with us, maybe 10, Rick and I tried to figure out the night before how many are going to want to do the uh, terror dactyl, which is a chair that you get strapped into with a partner, and they hang you out over the ravine, and they tilt your chair forward while they open up the deck below you, and you get to see that thousand-foot drop. They have a cable attached from one end of the ravine to the other, and your chair gets pulled, a cable gets pulled out to the center, and then they release you, and you do a 300-foot drop and a swing out over the ravine. So we thought maybe about 10 people, 20 out of 22 did it. And that was what the video was about because we paid for the video to show everybody going through that experience. And they were all terrified, but they all signed up for it. And what that did for camaraderie and helping them to have something fun to talk about. And if you could see the thank you card that they gave both Rick and me afterwards, they just felt so poured into And we decided what the fun thing was going to be. We didn't like take a head count. We chose and brought them and they all bought into it and they were so appreciative. So yeah, it reminds me of the things that you do for others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason we have customers for as long as we do, if we figured anything out, we figured out to not go in with an agenda. Obviously we have a strategic plan. My CEO group helped with that. We have goals for our company and our business, but we don't want to ever forget why we do what we do. I've had salespeople get a little burned out because, you know, they make cold calls every day, the quota. And after a while, I think they get a little burned out and we'll have a discussion. I'll remind them, look, you don't want to forget why you do what you do. You're making these calls to make the connections that will make a difference. And you have something to offer these people that they don't realize yet. And you get to go in and meet them and enjoy them and offer solutions for them. And that's what makes your job rewarding. The 40 phone calls is just a vehicle to get you there. And when they get burned out, I just like, you've forgotten why you do what you do. And so we talk about it and process it. And then they usually get back on board. Sometimes people don't want to be salespeople anymore because it's challenging. So for the folks that are listening, before I forget to ask, how do people find you on social media? Well, we do have a Facebook page. We have a Pinterest page. We have an Instagram presence and we have a Twitter presence and we're getting all up on LinkedIn. So and it's classical G L A S S I C A L designs, designs, plural, plural. Mm-hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. folks can find you. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. Easy. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in thinking about what you guys do and you know, I think this is just a physical representation of a mindset, personally. Mm-hmm. And if you were to take the message of your company and you could put your message on page one mm-hmm. of the Denver Business Journal or some other, what would it say and why? Huh. Well, that's a good question. What would I say? I think let us help you grow your company through the avenue of meaningful and appropriate recognition. I mean, I think that kind of narrows it down. And that's what we do. Then I would have Glasgow Design's logo and a phys- uh, picture of what it is, what we do. So I don't know that I would overwhelm them with a ton of text. Just put down there some kind of avenue to get in touch with us. 
if that strikes a chord with them, we would go from there. You know, the thing that strikes me about all that is, even if you hear all of this and you're not really sure, it's really inexpensive to reach out and say, please explain it to me because I don't get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for you folks listening, what that really means is call or reach out. Yeah. Yeah. So over the past three years, what would you say is a belief or protocol that you've established um, with respect to your ideal target market as far as how your treatment of your customers has impacted your your company? Hmm. Well, I can think that it's impacted it on several levels. I think it's helped the people who work there become better people and understand what customer service is really all about. So the belief would be around customer service being... Yeah, I mean, if your goal is truly to serve others well, sales will follow. So, so many companies start out, and us included in the beginning, like, okay, this is our our company, we're going to make a ton of money, thinking about what it can do for them. And what I think, I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but I think the big impact that we have is that it has to be about others. That for your life to be meaningful, for your company to have meaning, for it to have longevity, it can't be all about you. It has to be about others. And so from a belief perspective, tell me again what you have on the top of the wall of the sales office. What does it say? I think it says if your goal is to serve others well, the word love might be in there somewhere too. I can't remember. But if your goal is to serve others well, sales will follow. And that is a belief that you have to your core mm-hmm. as well as your husband, Rick. Mm-hmm. And that is truly what has propelled you forward. Customer experience yeah. perspective, from a customer service perspective, and from how you, that's also how you treat your employees. Yes. It sounds very idyllic, but, and don't get me wrong. I mean, Rick does all the finances, pays all the bills. You know, He's our CFO. We balance each other out. There's practicalities to running a business. You have to be able to pay your vendors and pay your bills and pay your employees and pay your payroll taxes and all of that. So I'm aware of the challenges that he has. I just don't delve into the details of the money part of it, just so I can keep my brain clean and not get freaked out or selfish. So <laughs> yeah. I think that's a pretty good compass. You know, one of the things we've not talked about is that you're women-owned business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For the first year and a half that I had the business, I ran it. Rick was an air traffic controller and he meant to set me up and then he was going to continue being an air traffic controller and then he would start other small businesses. (laughs) That didn't really happen. (laughs) In his spare time. (laughs) Yeah. And then about two years in, he jumped in with me, quit his job as an air traffic controller and started working it with me. So essentially, yes, he funded the machine, but it was my company first. Mm -hmm. And so then we built it together. So when we were defining roles and stuff, we decided, okay, I'm probably better with the managing of the people part and the sales part, the marketing part and all that. And so I will be the CEO and he will be the COO slash CFO and went from there. But we are certified woman-owned and have been for quite some time. And I mean, I didn't feel neglected by the business world for being women-owned. But I know that there are other women-owned companies that have really fought an uphill battle to find good standing in the industry, whatever it was that they wanted to get into. I haven't really experienced that. I've been pretty fortunate. That's a good story in and of itself. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. For you, advice to another CEO, right? If you're in that's assuming the role of CEO for the first time, 
what would it be? Mm, don't do it on your own. Join a group like I'm part of and pick the brains of other CEOs who've walked before you. Because as smart as you are, you don't know everything. There's a lot to be learned from other people who are humble and want to share. And so I would probably say that as number one. I think about the wisdom of the crowd, mm -hmm. right? And as you look at, you may have A through F on experience, and somebody else in the crowd may have M through Z experience and so on. And you go, we both experience, we both run successful businesses. We just don't have the same experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And perspectives. Mm -hmm. Their perspective has been, I don't even know how adequately say how valuable it has been to me. But when we issue process, I'll throw out something that I'm challenged with. And then these people will ask qualifying questions, you know, like, let's clarify what's going on. And then they will offer possible solutions. And then I usually find one good one, maybe two in there that I take back and talk with my team about. And because uh, we have a management team and my husband and I are running it together, basically. So we go back and I mean, it's been invaluable. There's things that I just wouldn't have thought of on my own. I'm smart, but <laughs> I can't know everything. You know? Yeah. So and, it's you know, been tremendous. You get in the business instead of on the business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you've had a fairly good milestone over the past 18 to 24 months, as I understand it. Yes, we are projected to double in revenue in the last 18 months. So since I've basically been part of this CEO group. What do you think the one or two obstacles that you overcame to have this occur? Getting my head out of the whirlwind, which is necessary to run your business. You have to be engaged. But setting aside time and being purposeful about thinking where we want to be and what is most important to us and how do we define ourselves in the marketplace so I would say trying to do both, keep my mind on the wildly important goals that make the most sense for us and keep the whirlwind going at the same time. So that answer your question? I think so. Kath, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think that accurately sums up. I mean, the Vistage Group, the, you know, one of the main goals you know, is create space and time to work on the business versus in the business. Mm-hmm is if you don't get your head out of the business for at least one day a month, you're probably more likely to be part of the problem than the solution. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think about, so what was, as you guys were talking, I'm thinking, so here you are some number of months ago, and you've got this thought process go, you know, I need to do this instead of what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. Describe what that was when you had that moment or that aha thought process <laughs> or how did it arrive? Like most things in my life, left field, you know, just Jackie, our Southern California sales rep, contacted Vistage's corporate office, having no idea who they were or what they did and discovered that they had a recognition program and they weren't super pleased with the vendor they'd been working with. And so they were open to talking to her and we learned about what they do started working with them actually first to provide ideas and then helped them with their recognition program for their CEOs who'd been members for numerous years. And then they reached out to me about joining Vistage and I really didn't fully understand what they do, nor did I know if I had the need, but entertained talking with them about it. And they put me in contact with Catherine and she came and explained it to me and it seemed to make sense to help give me some insight on how to better move forward 
And so I kind of went in a little tentatively and right out the gate, first meeting, I was thinking, my gosh, it's like drinking from a fire hose and I'm so glad that I came. And we pulled the trigger right away and I have not had a moment where I thought that that wasn't a good idea. So That's interesting. I'm always interested in the instigator or the pivot point or whatever. The catalyst. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the catalyst mm-hmm. for how you step out of where you were. Mm-hmm. And then you look at where you are now and you go, light years difference. Mm-hmm. Light years difference. I don't know that there's a ton of epiphanies or aha moments. It's more a steady download of like, oh, okay, that w- that's helpful. Oh, that's a better way to look at that. Oh, my gosh. I wish I'd known that a long time ago. You know, so all those things. That's how life has been for me. I don't know. I haven't had that many epiphanies as much as like you just keep climbing the stair one step at a time. So so misconceptions about you and your role as the CEO of this company. What's the typical misconception? <laughs> I've heard a few times over the last several years, you know, like usually a new employee would be intimidated by me. I have no clue why, <laughs> except maybe the role. And so the idea that because I run a company and I'm willing to take risks that somehow I'm further along in life than they are. I think once people get to know me that they find out that I'm just figuring it out the same as everybody else one day at a time. I don't have all the answers. Do I have a whole lot more wisdom than I did when I was 25? Sure. A ton. There has to be some benefit to aging. Yeah. (laughs) But I think one of the misconceptions is that you sit around all day and you tell people what to do. I don't. We talk about it. And we come to conclusions together. And at the end of the day, yes, I have to pull the trigger. And I don't need everyone to agree with me. But I think some people just assume because of the role that you just have a bunch of people working for you and you don't have to work that hard. And that is not true. So looking back over the past few years, and you, I want you to know, you're very inspirational, not only to me, but to the rest of our Thanks. You truly are. And it's just a pleasure to work with you. Thank you. But in the area of motivation, What do you feel like you do to motivate your team members? And then my second part of that question is, what do you do to keep yourself motivated? Especially when those days are kind of gray and bleak and, you know, 10 unexpected things happen like a normal business day, right? Mm -hmm. I think motivation is overrated. Honestly, I don't wait to be motivated to do what's right. Because if I felt motivated all the time, I probably would get one third done of what I get done. I just know that there's have tos in this world and that I need to do them whether I feel like it or not. So I don't go with my feelings and I'm a very feeling oriented woman, trust me, but I override how I feel all the time to do what is right. And so the way we motivate our employees, I've had a few managers come and say, you know, well, we need this to be fun. And I'm like, I love fun. Trust me, I love having fun. I don't know that I think about work as being fun. So if I'm waiting to have fun to feel motivated, then I probably won't do it. (laughs) I feel like work needs to be rewarding and that that's a really big part of what makes life meaningful. And so if I do the right thing and we accomplish some of the goals that we set out to accomplish, I usually get the reward after, not And I think you become a person of your word with follow through and doing what you need to do, whether you feel like it or not, when you follow that process. So 
motivating my people when I talk with them. Sometimes they'll say, you know, I don't enjoy this or I don't enjoy that. And we just talk about it. And then I say, okay, so are you supposed to? Like, is that an expectation you have? Because I do a lot of things every day that I don't necessarily enjoy. I don't focus on that. I focus on why am I doing this? And is it for the good of the company? Is it for the good of the customer? Is it the good for the culture as a whole? If it is, then I'll do it. I don't wait to be motivated. It goes back to your, again, I would call it really the company mantra, which is serving others well. Mm -hmm. So you are really good about talking with the employees about, okay, so you don't feel like doing this today. Mm -hmm. It doesn't bring you a lot of joy. Does it tie back to our common goal to serve others? Mm -hmm. If that's the answer, then that's the right thing to do, Mm -hmm. whether you're motivated to do it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you're younger, especially, I think, oh, I don't have any motivation today. Well, welcome to life on planet Earth. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't either. You know? For you, looking over the inventory of books that may have been pivotal in what you do or how you think about things, does one come to mind that you might recommend that's been influential? Well, a huge one that I think spills over into business. I have two, but One of the biggest ones in my life has been Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. It's important for me to know what's mine to do. I don't want to do any more than what's mine to do, because then that can cross over into the realm of manipulation, passive aggressiveness, that kind of thing. But if I clearly know what's mine to do, I want to do it. And Boundaries has helped me with that in the business sense and also in my personal life. So it's a like right next to the Bible, I would say it's my number two. A recent one, The Four Ds of Execution, The Four Disciplines of Execution. Sean Covey is one of the authors, and that has really helped. There's a ton of books that we've read about, you know, there's the E-Myth and all kinds of stuff. But I would say The Four Ds of Execution has been pivotal in helping me know how to run a company and how to manage people. So, Thank you for those recommendations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always like to ask folks if there's a quote that they like. Is there one that you like or you repeat often? Yes. From probably 22 years of age, whether I was on a long run and I wanted to quit, whether I wanted to throw in the towel with the company during the recession, it's kind of a funny one, but it's you can do what you do do. So if you do it and you keep doing it, you're going to get better at it and you're going to be able to do it. So it's a real simple one, but if you're at the end of a long run and you don't want to keep going, you know, you can do what you do do. So if I continue to do this, the next time I do it, it'll be easier. So I just, you just don't give up. I think about, there's one that I've heard a lot as you got this, and I actually say it's quite empowering when you can tell yourself you've got this. Mm -hmm. When you tell yourself that, do you notice a shift or a behavioral difference or, or anything mentally when you say that to yourself? Yeah, I'm not easily defeated by most things. I would tell you, it's helped me tremendously over the years to know that if I do what's mine to do, I can do it. And if I don't know how, I'll figure it out. But I don't get defeated too easily. I get tired, but I don't get defeated. And just because I don't know how to do something now, if I do it and I keep doing it, I'll figure it out. So yeah, it's really helped me a lot. It was actually something that my anatomy and physiology instructor or professor told me in college. 
told our whole class. And of course, all young people, everybody laughed about it at first, but I have made that part of the fiber of how I operate. So, yeah. Can you imagine that, that instructor thinking back of all of the things that they've said over time and you go, that's what stuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was a character. She would have enjoyed that. We're sitting here and Kath Wickland is with us from Vistage as a co-host. And we haven't, you've mentioned Vistage off and on. Mm-hmm. And I thought we might take a moment for the folks that are listening going, that are not familiar with Vistage and what Vistage does. And maybe I just turn it over to you guys to talk about the role of Vistage and what, where, when, and why type things. So Vistage is actually an organization that's been around for 65 years. It started in the Midwest by a very astute CEO who realized that he doesn't know, he didn't know what he didn't know. Mm -hmm. And it was, again, what we talked about earlier, the wisdom of the crowd, in that he knew if he surrounded himself with other business owners and CEOs, then he would create opportunity for everyone to learn together and also from one another. And so Vistage was born, and... It is now global. It's in 21 countries. There, it's a membership organization. There are over 23,000 members who are CEOs, business owners, or key executives. And it's really, again, my passion and I feel like my purpose to help lead a group of business owners and CEOs who are willing to commit to themselves, to the business, their businesses, and to one another to create better decisions, better results, and better leaders. And it's a privilege, actually, for me to work with our group. It's a, it's a neighborhood. Yeah, she does a really good job. Sometimes she's herding cats. And <laughs> most times, most times, yeah. you know, it's, it is, and that's part of what I love about it, is that um, being a leader myself for several decades, um, I also have the ability to kind of rise up above what's go- whatever's going on at the time. And pull everybody together and get them going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So it's that's a gift for me and a gift for them. It is. It's a true gift because if you can imagine you have a room full of CEOs that a lot of them have big personalities and they're wonderful people. To be involved, you have to be a lifelong learner and you have to be somewhat humble so that you don't think you know everything. You need a strong leader to keep everybody on track. And so what I love about Vistage, which I just, like I said, stumbled into, is that they choose people to be chairs that have experience knowing how to do that. And so Catherine's great. We had a couple's retreat up in Breckenridge for our team, and we brought our spouses, and my husband just kept saying, wow, she does such a great job. She just pulls everybody back on target. And so it's been wonderful to have her as the leader of our group. I truly enjoy it. It is very, very gratifying. Well, I would have not met you if it wasn't for Kath, for another Vistage person. And I would not have met you, Nora, otherwise. And thank you for the hospitality, which I failed to say from the last time we met at your location. In closing, you know, really appreciate you sharing your story and uh, your insights. Kath, thanks so much for helping along the way. You're welcome. Thank you. You bet.